Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I'm here with Craig Dowden. Craig is a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author, executive coach with the Forbes Coaches Council, an award-winning keynote speaker, and a prolific author at that. I've got your newest book, which we're going to get into. But before we get into a time to lead, I would love to get a little bit more context and background and how you came to this space today. No, well, uh, thank you. I really appreciate the invitation to be a part of this uh, wonderful podcast and uh, and have a discussion. Uh, I've always been fascinated by what makes people tick. <laughs> From the earliest time growing up, I was just always curious about, well, what enables different people to look at the same situation differently? So you can almost have two entirely different stories and so that seed was planted very early on. And then as I went through school, having different conversations, and then when I hit university and learned about the whole field of psychology, so I could specialize in that. And then I found out there's psychology and business. <laughs> and then I just thought, wow, if I have the opportunity to do this every single day, I'll never be bored. And fortunately, I was right. So I pursued advanced uh, degrees. So I have a PhD in psychology with specialization in business. And so as I kept going down this path, more and more, it was reinforced how fascinating this is and also just had so much uh, meaning and fulfillment in terms of partnering with executives and organizations to tackle their top challenges. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you, the book really sets that well, but for me, a challenge is people kind of throw this term around a lot of leadership without fully appreciating what it means, especially today. I mean, what have you found and how do you kind of define it yourself 
so that it's accessible to other people? Well, and, and I love that question because you're absolutely right that people throw that term around without really understanding what it means. And one of my favorite book titles of all time is Marshall Goldsmith's What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And whereby, because a lot of people, when they're in individual contributor roles and they become the subject matter expert, well, now once you transition into a leadership role, there's an entirely different set of responsibilities. So to unpack that great question, leadership is really about how do we create an environment that enables other people to be at their best? And then what's interesting to me and linking it to my latest book is that for me, a foundational idea is that, well, great leadership starts with great self-leadership. How can I get the best out of other people if I'm not getting the best out of myself? So that was the motivating spirit for me in terms of, so how can I frame a book that outlines various leadership qualities that are supported by decades of scientific research around how can we truly maximize our potential so we can unlock the potential in the teams and organizations we need? Yeah. It was very striking to me and affirming because I recently went through a, like a wellness reset at the beginning of the year. And it was very, in my mind, that was always a very selfish thing to do. I was trying to start a company and run a company and work really hard and be a father and a husband. But once I took the time to do that, I found that the other components of my life really started working better. And so within that context, I'd love to just use the book as scaffolding for the conversation. I mean, to your point, this first chapter about mastering your mindset, I'd love for you to kind of unpack the meaning behind that title. Well, thank you. And to build on that very important point that you just raised, because I think so many executives, founders, business owners struggle with that. And so thank you for, for highlighting that is that what kind of felt selfish or is this an appropriate thing for me to do? And then really, I love the air, the airline example, right? Put on your own mask before you assist other people. If we don't take the time to restore, recharge, re-energize, well, then how can we show up at our best for the organizations we're a part of, for our families, for our children, for our communities? And so recognizing that, in fact, taking time for self-care, as you say, restoring ourselves, that is a vital component of us achieving what we most want to achieve for the people we most want to support, love, and care for. And I think that's a very powerful idea, and I'm so glad you you touched on that. And pivoting to the opening chapter on mastering our mindset, for me, this is foundational because our mindset directly impacts how we perceive the world around us. We are masterful storytellers. So when we interact with different people in different situations, even though it's the same situation, the same people, we can have an entirely different self-narrative. And so what I wanted to draw attention to was to recognize the power of our minds. So a lot of people are familiar with the placebo effect. Anticipating a healing effect can achieve that, even if it's a sugar pill, it's a neutral substance. And so for me, I wanted to highlight that as a foundational component of being at our best and also start to unpack, well, we can be in different mindsets. So we can be, and I drew on the work, incredible groundbreaking work of Carol Dweck, who differentiated between growth and fixed mindsets. And this came out with children, started with children. And then because of the tremendous value and insight, well, it just got expanded to corporate audiences and elsewhere. 
And so when I'm in growth mindset, it's all around effort. It's all around how can I maximize my potential? How can I learn? How can I grow? I see situations as opportunities. When I'm in fixed mindset mode, essentially it's I've hit the limit of my potential. There's no room at all for development. I am, I've achieved everything I can achieve. My intelligence, my EQ, all the tools that I have are maxed out. So then if I fail or I don't show up as best as I can in a situation, there's nothing I can do to get around it. So you can absolutely see how, depending on the mindset that I'm in, it'll impact the words that I say and equally, if not more importantly, actions that I take. And whether I'm in growth, I see this as an opportunity and I'm excited or I'm in fixed and I'm going, uh oh, I might not make it. So I'm just going to, I'm going to avoid this. Yeah. I mean, I think so often we are the story that we tell ourselves and that is very true for myself. But, you know, the differentiation between my days when I start them getting up early, working out, going through some mindfulness training, maybe some journaling and setting my intention versus the days where I was out late last night or I was traveling and the productivity and just the energy around those are so much different. And it really does go down to what is that story running through your head for that day? Well, I love how you touched on the intentionality. So taking that moment at the beginning of the day to center and say, okay, so what's important to me? Who am I? What do I most want to achieve today? What's important? Rather than rush, 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 and just dive into the myriad of things that we're going to face, taking some time. And, and it doesn't have to be hours. It can literally be minutes just to calm ourselves and think about, all right, what's, what's the day ahead and how do I want to show up in that? And so this kind of segues to this other section about how you can master your emotions and leverage them to, to, you know, create value for yourself and the, and the broader enterprise. I think in the business world, emotions were something that were not really spoken of very often up until the last 10 plus years, but now it's become a big part of leadership. People are expecting you to be empathetic, to have emotional intelligence, and that's really I think a lot of what leaders spend time on nowadays as opposed to kind of the the cogs and the wheels of the machine itself. So can you get granular and, and talk through the right way to do this and, and maybe some red flags as well of things to avoid? No, for sure. And you're absolutely right for very long time. And in some organizations today, you can see some very viral clips of CEOs and senior executives are not providing a masterclass in mastering their emotions. And you're also quite right in terms of, well, emotions were almost seen as, well, you don't, they have no part in business. This is business, not personal. And then there's so much emphasis and research around engagement, employee engagement. Well, what's engagement if it's not emotional? Like that's what gets us truly engaged, excited, passionate about the organizations that, that we're a part of and the roles that we fill. And so emotions are an invaluable component of the human experience. And to me, what's most important, and I think this is definitely a, a skill and it's something, it's a process of mastering throughout our lives because in my coaching practice, how many executives have I worked with who in a particular moment, they're ready to just unload on a client, customer, a stakeholder, they are amped up. And then as we talk through it about, well, what are the implications if you go in and just tear a strip off of somebody and 
How is that going to affect not just a short-term business relationship and elsewhere? And I've had personal experience where there are literally multi-million dollar deals that could just crumble if you go in swinging all guns a-blazing. And so taking that back and saying, okay, how do I frame my messaging so that I have the impact that I want and then not have emotions override me? You talked about emotional intelligence. So in fact, now I can really undermine the outcome that I'm looking for. And so to me, emotions are essentially, they are data points. So to get really granular, and what I think is a really compelling idea or framework to think about is that when we feel positive emotions, that suggests that we're in alignment, that things are going well. Negative emotions suggest we're in misalignment. And here's what's really valuable because and I'm glad there's a lot of focus on this, that there is such a thing as toxic positivity where people don't want to deal with negative emotions, like ignore them, minimize them. No, all of our emotions are essential for a meaningful, rich life. And so what we want to do is approach them as an emotional detective. <laughs> I kind of call it Sherlock Holmes. Our emotions are telling us things. Be curious. What story are they telling us? Where are they showing us where we're in alignment or misalignment? And getting even more granular. And this happens in my coaching work a lot where someone will say, well, should I feel that way? Or I feel bad for having this emotion. And I always have the same answer. It said, no, yes, you should feel that way because you are feeling that. Now the responsibility with that feeling is let's figure it out. And to me, What's most powerful is that the more uncomfortable we are about feeling an emotion, well, I shouldn't be feeling this. In fact, to me, we should be more, not less curious. We should be more, spend more, not less time with the emotion, because now that provides us the largest area in which to learn and grow about ourselves. So not only can we manage the situation that we're in, it can also give us invaluable insight in terms of similar situations in the future. Yeah, I found personally that one of the best things about mindfulness, meditation, therapy has been the ability to experience an emotion from a distance and be able to just say, okay, well, I'm feeling angry, sad, happy. Be able to just be on the sidewalk and watch that emotion drive by the highway next to you and try to understand why am I feeling that way? What triggered this? That's interesting. Like, be curious about, you know, why it is that you're having that emotion. And it just been very helpful to me navigating the world, business, personal, et cetera, by being able to have that distance and, and curiosity about it. Well, what I love that you're saying, Brian, it's such an, it's such an important point. And it actually ties into the subtitle of the book, as you said, create some distance. It was very purposeful on my behalf to, to, the book is called A Time to Lead, Mastering Yourself. It's broken into two words for exactly the reason you just touched on, which is to step back and then look at us again as a data point, as an interesting case to solve. And so now we step up to the balcony, as sometimes it's called, and observe ourselves. Now that provides us tremendous insight. And then, as you say, well, I'm feeling anger right now. Let's be curious about that emotion. I'm feeling happy right now. And here's the other thing as well. 
sometimes we're only curious or judgmental when it's the negative side of the spectrum. There's equal value in I'm happy right now. Huh, that's notice. What's going on? Who am I speaking with? What am I doing? All those kinds of things. And now it's given me the roadmap for future success, future happiness, whatever it is that I'm pursuing. And also appreciating through professionals and, and books like yours that this cycle of emotions and this carousel of emotions is a natural thing. We're not meant to be super happy all the time, nor should we be sad all the time, right? These are things that come and go and we need to be able to ride that wave and understand, okay, I'm feeling sad. This is my toolkit that I have to address that. I'm feeling happy. These are things that I should maybe be focused on, take advantage of this, you know, phase that I'm in. But it's not natural. To, I think modern media and social media especially has tried to tell us that there are people out there that are always doing really well and being very happy. That's not a natural state of affairs. For sure. And, and back to toxic positivity. It's not honest. It's not accurate to say every day, every interaction, every emotion is happy, 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 happy. And it's a part the full spectrum of emotions make make up a rich life. And they're all vital for our own emotional experience. They're all vital for our own growth and development. And so now approaching them from, so what can I learn? And what I love about the science as well around this is that the more specific we can be in labeling the emotion, because a lot of times, well, how are you? I'm, I'm doing good. Well, why are we doing good? What makes it a good day? Or I'm, I'm not, I'm feeling bad, feel awful. Well, what makes it an awful day? So if we're more granular, I'm feeling lonely, right? I feel lonely. I feel upset. I feel disappointed. I feel anger. I feel frustrated. Getting further into the granular nature of our emotional state. And what's really fascinating to me, and there's some research that's been done around this, about a third of us can accurately identify the emotion we're experiencing at, in any given situation. So that's two thirds of us can do a lot of fantastic work and growth and development in our own psychological and emotional well-being by being more aware. Because oftentimes we feel these emotions and are we really processing them? Are we sitting with them? And most importantly to me, are we learning from them? And that's why they're there. It's, it's at the core of the human experience. Yeah, I think unfortunately I'm 40. There's just a generation of people that we were never given the tools or the verbiage or the language to talk about these things, right? And my therapist always reminds me that, you know, good and okay are not emotions. <laughs> they're states of being, but they're not an emotional state of being. And so it, it, it is a learning process. I'm sure you've got to educate your clients with getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and then being able to label these emotions as they come. It, it's not a natural thing for many of us who were, who were raised, you know, 20, 30 years ago. For sure. And I think, and then to your point earlier about social media or media in general, you see these examples in front of us. And then, so now we create assumptions and, and what's the story behind that. And I think as well, what's the vital part of the equation and where we are, and you talk about social media, I think a really essential skill that can be lacking in conversations around emotion even if we're talking about emotion is curiosity as opposed to judgment. So there can be a rush, right? So do we have, and I love, there's so much compelling evidence around this and it's such an important part of it. We also need to have 
a psychologically safe space to talk about those emotions. So you and I can be feeling things and going back and forth. If we're not curious with each other, if we're not creating a safe space with each other, I'm emoting, I'm, I'm in fully engaged in my emotions. How much collaboration is happening? How much deepening of a relationship is happening? Our connection, how much elevated understanding is occurring? Probably not very much. So we want to ensure we're using the invaluable information that emotions provide us in a productive and constructive way. Yeah, 100%. We put together a free resource available exclusively to our podcast listeners. If you're looking for strategies to safeguard your portfolio against inflation, you want to check out our latest guide on the best alternative investments to consider. Head to ExcelsiorGP.com slash download to learn more. I think dovetailing with this conversation and what I really enjoyed was your section about resiliency and stress, because we as a society have pigeonholed stress as being a negative thing. Like, oh, I'm stressed out. I've got de-stress. I've got to figure out a way to manage my stress. But if you go back and look at the you know, biological components of it, Stress is a very useful tool and it's a very normal thing that many of us are meant to experience throughout the day. Now, you know, can there be situations where it's too extreme? hundred percent, but it does have some huge benefits. And I, I think people just mischaracterize it and don't understand it fully like you have. Well, and, and it's an excellent point that you're making is that it's natural, it's normal. And so the to me, again, bringing in the science of this, because I think it's incredibly compelling, where what they looked at was they had a study, it was over 30,000 people, and they were interested in the relationship between stress and risk of early mortality. And what they found was, probably wouldn't surprise anyone listening in, that, hey, higher stress, higher risk of early mortality, based on probabilities and other things. Well, then they dug deeper and said, well, what's the stress beliefs of the individuals? So what are their beliefs about how stress affects them? And what they found was, and this was written up in a great book called The Upside of Stress by Kelly McGonigal. It was covered in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and other top-tier publications because of how thought-provoking the findings were, is that that relationship between higher stress and early mortality only existed when people believe that stress was harmful, when you had the belief that, well, stress is natural, as you talked about, and you also touched on stress can be beneficial. It's activation energy. When we're feeling stress, I like to say it's our mind, our body, our heart's way of letting us know something's up. Hey, pay attention over here. It's our early warning signal. So now we're activated. We have a choice of how we're going to use that energy, that activation energy. And so reflecting on coming back to what I love that you prompted with the granular aspect. So getting really into the practices, what I encourage executives and, and audiences when I speak is to say, reflect on your stress beliefs, your stress mindset, and how might that be affecting how you respond to feeling stressed? Because as an example, if my belief is stress is harmful to me, well, what? is a likely response. I'm going to avoid it, minimize it, put it off, procrastinate. I might engage in maladaptive coping like drinking and other behaviors because I don't want to address it because it's going to hurt me. And now in medical science, what do they say? Early intervention is key. Oh, if we had caught this earlier, we could have 
done something about it. So what happens on the stress? Does it go away? No, because it's growing and growing and growing and getting more and more complex and challenging to address. And now it's going to have even more profound negative impacts on us over time. So we can really see how, depending on, once again, our mindset and how we engage with it, we can be, have an entirely different outcome. And this is also a good point or place to bring up this idea that, especially within within the business leader community, oftentimes people deal with stress or challenges at home or things and emotions that they just don't want to handle by working more. And, and workaholism is just as dangerous and pernicious as alcoholism or a lot of other issues and challenges. And oftentimes people feel more comfortable in that setting because they've got acumen there and they get accolades there, but you need to be guarded against it because it, it, it is not a solution if it's not handled appropriately. Well, and I'm really glad you brought it up because that is such an important point. If I'm going to avoid it and I'm going to work harder, longer and stay out of, out of the office or stay in the office, stay out of my home. And this is what's vitally important. Once again, now for us, we don't feel safe to have that conversation. And you also touched on very importantly, the skills to have it. So you have the acumen at work. Now, when I'm about to have difficult conversations, which is another one of the qualities I highlight in the book is that, well, now I'm not sure what to do. I feel that I'm very good at mastering my office environment, the business I've started, the division I lead, the company that I'm, I'm in the corner office. Then when I'm talking about difficult conversations, I'm not sure about that. And one of the most revealing studies that I've ever come across was that, and it was done, I believe at Stanford. And they surveyed CEOs and said, what's your highest, what's your biggest development area? And CEOs, difficult conversations. So CEOs, yes, they can report to a board, yet they are the highest rung in an organization, yet they still struggle with, how do I have this tough conversation with Brian? And another really important part of it is, is that if we're avoiding that, and if we're staying in the office, well guess what we're not doing? Having practice, any skill. You, you talked about working out. Well, if you want to build our physical fitness, you want to engage in a marathon or whatever it is, you got to run, walk, lift weights. That's what's going to build that capacity, that resiliency, if you will. If we're actively avoiding opportunities to practice those skills, well, how are we going to get any better? And therein lies the challenge is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where we avoid it, we stay away from it. And now the difficult conversation gets harder and harder and harder. And the skill gap to be able to do that effectively becomes longer and longer. And now we're trapped because, uh-oh, now it's 10 things that I'm upset about in the same area versus one. So this is really, really key. I want to go deeper on the difficult conversation piece. You know, you, you have a whole chapter dedicated to this best practices, what not to do, case study. I'd love for you to to just kind of un, unwrap that a little bit more because I know as an executive, especially the HR ones are just very challenging. I hate doing them. Yeah. You know, I dread them and I, I try to outsource them even though I shouldn't. I mean, yeah, I, I think people would really benefit from hearing from you on that. No, thank you. And and uh, as I mentioned, it's it's a top development area for for CEOs. 
used the TASE assessment, one of the top personality assessments in the world. And so it looks at people's willingness to have conflict. And the average person just does not want to have any kind of difficult conversations. So a couple of best practices, like the the most critical, and this has come from decades of research at a Harvard University, the Harvard Negotiation Project and, and others. And I would recommend fantastic books by Doug, Doug Stone, Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most, one of the best books on conflict. One of the top findings from all the research on conflict is, okay, early intervention. When you notice something, when something is happening, speak up, share, start early, because here's the challenge. And, and I see this so often in with friends right outside of work or it with executives in the workplace. So someone submits something or makes an error or something that isn't based, you know, aligned with your expectations and it creates some frustration. And then you might indirectly try to deal with it or you're like, oh, well, I'm sure they're busy or it's not a good time for you. And then so, okay. And you let it go. And then it comes up again and again and again. And now what's happening is I'm building this war chest of in evidence, if you will, it's almost like I'm preparing for a case in front of a jury. And then when I go in and speak to you, I've got 10 different separate examples because I feel like, wow, I'm building my case here. And then when I do that, the other, you will say, rightly, how come you waited like six months to, to talk to me about this? So early intervention is vitally important. Another one that I think is so incredibly powerful, and I was inspired, again, I love different pieces of research because I think they're so transformative and insightful. So Dr. Atul Gwandi out of Harvard Medical School wrote a great book about being mortal. And as part of that, he shared this compelling piece of research where uh, they had end-of-life patients and what they did was they had two different groups, one that received traditional medical care, the other one received early palliative care specialists, essentially experts who could talk to you about end of life and what to expect and all of those vitally important things. And then they tracked these individuals. So what was fascinating about this research was a couple of things. Number one, they found that those that had the early palliative care specialists were less frustrated, depressed, anxious, all so psychologically much better and probably not a surprise. What's also interesting though, is that they chose significantly less intensive medical intervention than the other group. And then here's the really fascinating kind of the mic drop insight was that they also lived significantly longer than the other group. And then what I love about Dr. Gwandi's analysis of this is as he shared, as they started to unpack it, well, what was, what was really beneficial was the conversations that these individuals were having. And then who weren't having those discussions? It was friends, family members. And then when you ask them, well, how come? Well, it's too much for Brian to handle. Craig can't handle that conversation. And then Dr. Gwandi expertly reflected and said, now is it that the other person can handle the conversation or can we not handle it? And then what we're doing is delegating responsibility to the other person. When it's our own discomfort that's preventing that. So that's vitally important for us to think about is how often do I speak with someone and say, well, I know how Brian's going to respond. And I'll say, okay, well, how do you know that? I just know, okay. And I'm like, no, absolutely. I'm sure you do. Have you ever, have you tried to talk to him about this? No. 
Have you observed other people try to talk to him? Nope. Have you heard water cooler conversations that have gotten back to you that Brian doesn't react well with this topic? Nope. Okay, so then how do you know? And now what's, again, to me, what's mission critical is I'm holding you responsible for a conversation and outcome that I'm not prepared to have. So that's unfair because we haven't, you haven't given that chance. So if I'm not prepared to engage with you in that conversation, it is a responsibility of mine not to judge you for acting poorly when you, I have not given you the chance to do so. So we have to let that go. So this is all, these are all very powerful, important questions for us to consider. Because again, if I just assume the conversation poorly, yeah, well, Brian, and now, well, I'm judging you and I'm changing my behavior towards you about an anticipated future. Yeah, it's such a challenging topic. So that's super helpful. And I need to take a dose of that medicine myself and, and try to do it internally within my own firm. You know, as we kind of get to the end of this conversation, I would like to share your thoughts about authentic leadership. It's, I think, a term that just gets thrown around way too much. I think it's lost meaning to a lot of people. I mean, what is your definition and how do you actually put it into work within an organization? Well, a couple of things I'm with you 110%. And it was a chapter that I left at the end because I felt it's so important. And also it's a topic that can be misunderstood. So a couple of things. So to start with the definition, I had the profound privilege to collaborate with Alan Mulally, the legendary former CEO of Ford Motor Company and Boeing Commercial Airplanes. And of the countless things that I learned in collaborating with Alan and continue to do today, I love his definition of authentic leadership and his perspective on it. So he defines authentic leadership as when, when your values, your beliefs and behaviors are aligned. And then the insight from that is another invaluable insight is, is that the only thing people can see is our behaviors. And then they're going to make assumptions about how our behaviors match our values and beliefs. So an incredibly powerful reflection question. And I love that we're talking about these different things. Taking a moment of pause to reflect and ask ourselves that question is that to what extent are my behaviors matching my values and beliefs and that other people are seeing that alignment? So that is vitally important. And the other piece I want to touch on, because it's something that I'm inspired by, and also authenticity, it can be used as a cloak that, hey, I'm just calling it as I see it. It's not my problem. Get out of my, I'm just going to say whatever it is that I want. There's no responsibility. And to me, the conversation about authentic leadership is over-indexed authentic. The next part, it's two words, leadership. So now I have a responsibility. So authentic, what are my core values and what do I value? And sharing that with the world. Leadership, well, that is, I'm looking to create an environment where I get the best out of others, inspire others, connect with others, move together towards a collective goal, something that's meaningful. Well, then my authentic self is important, yet leadership is also there. So you don't, it's not, because that's all, I'm just going to be authentic. Who cares about anyone else? Not leadership. So now it's all around how do we bring our core selves, our values into the equation and lead by example. So that to me is 
is incredibly important. Well, Craig, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been awesome. The book is terrific. For folks listening, it's a, it's a time to lead. Craig Dowden, please do leave us a comment, a rating. Let us know your favorite part of the conversation. Craig, if people are interested in connecting with you, I know you do keynotes, you do consulting, coaching. You obviously have a number of books published. What's the best way for them to connect and learn more? Certainly, and thank you. This was a wonderful conversation. Love your questions and the thoughtfulness with which we've explored these topics because sometimes it's more surface level and, and I love the, the emphasis on the granularity and the impacts. So I appreciate that. Going to my website, craigdowden.com is a great way to get access to the articles and different things done and other talks you can see. And then on LinkedIn, just let me know that you've come from the podcast and I will happily, it'll be great to connect and learn more. And if there are any questions you have of any of the resources or thought leaders, speakers I've mentioned, I'm happy to pass that along. So for me, I'm passionate about creating a conversation around positive leadership. And thank you for providing an avenue to do that in such an engaging way today. Yeah, absolutely. So we do ask everyone that comes on the show one question, which I will do, but I also have got a bonus question for you. <laughs> So the question that we ask folks to come on the show is, do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? Well, it's very similar. And I'm so glad that you mentioned, I like to think about the day ahead. So what's the one thing that's most important for me to accomplish today that's going to move the needle the most? I think that's incredibly powerful and to be thoughtful of, okay, so what are my values? Thinking about my values, who I am, what I most want to achieve and use that as a centering, almost like my true north as a compass, as I navigate the different conversations and projects that I'm involved in. Thank you for sharing. The bonus question, I'm going to go out in the limb and think that you're a hockey fan. Are the Leafs going to be able to get out of the first round? Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I mean, it's funny. Last night, there was so much optimism around. Brutal. And then exactly. And then, and then you could just see the collective groan. I am impressed that they won games three and four. And and I would say many, I'd even say shocked because their track record hasn't shown that. I feel of all the years, they're in the best position to do it. I would hate to say yes. I'm the broadcaster's jinx. Yeah. These fans are very passionate. So uh, yeah. I would say probability is very high. I love it. Hopeful. Okay. We won't wish them, but we will follow up. We'll know in the next couple of days here. But Craig, thanks so much for joining us. I look forward to staying in touch and best of luck with the book. Yeah. Thanks again. The pleasure was mine. Really appreciate uh, what you're doing and how you're doing it. So thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.